Hi guys, before we start the show, I want to point you in the direction of Beer 52. Beer 52 is the UK's largest craft beer club and ship delicious handcrafted beers straight to your door. If you want eight incredible beers for just £14, go to beer52.com and use the code WIZARDS. Oliver John and Lawrence. Right through for Fuller. Fuller's beaten Larson here. And Ricardo Fuller scored for Stoke. Ten minutes to go. And it could yet be a celebratory night in the Potteries. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Much like Mark Hughes, I've made a double substitution up front, but given that Ben Cartwright and Chris Brammer suggested Mark Sampson and Eddie Howe for the Stoke job last week, they've only got themselves to blame. Instead, I turn to the old guard of Tom Thrower. Hi up. And Ben Rowley. Hey up everyone, how's it going? I'm very well guys, how are you? Yeah, good. good. I'm, I'm, I'm much better after you know not winning for six games. Much better, much better. Well, exactly. The first of our three-word responses today is winning feels good. Uh, other Others include cracks papered over, relegation stress ended, Shaq is God, thanks Tony Pulis, the subs worked and we needed that. Tom, I'll start with you. We've won a game and we needed to win. Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, I almost feel like um, I-, I was right. I've been saying Shakiri's important for us for a while and we play better with him and we have. But yeah, it was um a win that we needed to win and a win that we should have won and a win that we did win. <laughs> um Potter's John on Twitter says Hughes deserves praise for his subs yesterday in the same way he got criticism for the subs last week. Fans can't have it both ways. Um as as a fairly uh, vocal Critic of Mark Hughes, do you uh, do you give him full credit for uh, game-changing subs? No. Um, okay. We, yeah, we've seen those subs before countless times, throwing on strikers. It doesn't really work. Um, I think Walters and Crouch came on and, 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 and did good. Um, they played really well, both of them. Um, but I, I can't really credit Mark Hughes for it because it's only the second time we've had a, um, a striker score... Um, but what anyone score off the bench, um, so I can't really find myself praising Hughes too much for it. Yeah, and there's also the thing about uh, his system in the first place not working. Ben, what did you make of the lineup when it was announced and and how we approached the game? Um, three of the back versus Hull wouldn't have been what I'd have played personally. I'd have gone with the two striker system purely because. You know, it was just more attacking and we needed to go at Hull. I think with the three at the back, we did make lots of positive chances. We should have scored, you know, X amount of goals. Um, but at the back, we just seemed so open against a team like Hull, who struggled such a way. It, like, they struggled away from home, we know this, even under Marco Silva. And they managed to make some really, really good chances yesterday. If they had, you know, a good striker up front, they'd have buried... And they'd have been maybe even leading um, as they went into half time. I think as we changed to four four two, I thought we looked more solid. Um, I thought the strikes up front. I don't want to sound too uh, <laughs> the other way on this, but they seemed to work a lot harder. They seemed to press a lot more. I think the biggest 
change wasn't the fact that we went two up front and we brought Berahino off. It was uh, the fact that Charlie Adam came off. I mean, he just wasn't very good again. In the last game, he was brought on and then subbed off again. <laughs> and in this game, he warranted such an embarrassing uh, thing to happen to him. But I think it, the, the subs worked because of the players that came off. Maybe not because of the players that came on. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was that the the system changed from that three at the back to uh, a sort of four four two basically. Um, why is it that the three at the back looks so open? Because we've played three at the back before. It's not like it's a totally new system on us. But there's just there were so many times that Hall got behind us, and you thought, mm, what what what's going on? What, what do you put that down to? Um, I, I just think that that midfield four sort of uh, Johnson, Adam, Cameron and Peters were all just having an absolute stinker. Um, mm. like even Jeff Cameron was having sort of the worst game he's had since he came back from uh, from his injury. And Hull just walked through the midfield. I mean, the amount of times Charlie Adam was just stood there and and pressed up when Cameron pressed up. And, and then it was a simple pass that went straight through the midfield. And Peters and, and Munizia were doing it as well on the left-hand side, sort of one would press and then the other would press as well. And suddenly we'd be we'd just be passed around. There was no... It looked like there was a real lack of communication. So I think, as we've said, up front, we were creating chances. Arnie and Shakiri were drifting around and sort of playing where they wanted to play and getting Barry Hino in, who I think had one of his better performances he's had for us and was just unlucky with some of the chances he, he needs to tuck them away and I think he will eventually. Um, but yeah, that the midfield was non-existent and it just really exposed the back three. Yeah, we'll uh, talk about some of the negatives in a sec, no doubt, but we did start that game very brightly and it, it was really encouraging how well we were playing up front, like you say, Arnie and Shakiri um, combined for the first goal and then should have had a second uh, Berahino had one where he was offside he had another chance in the first half and we were looking good for that first 20 minutes and then the intensity just seemed to drop and it's hard to really pinpoint where that comes from whether it's just maybe we were a bit arrogant and thought okay we're totally in control here or maybe it was just Hull saw more of the ball and then we panicked a bit but there was a spell after that first 20 minute mark where we were really poor and I did start to worry about just kind of the atmosphere at the ground turning almost. Um, and it really went bad when they did equalise in the second half. You thought, oh God, oh, is this Hughes' last game almost? Because it was <laughs> it was looking like we, we were going to lose and obviously the boost for the substitution happened as well. Um, but then we recovered with a goal against the run of play, a really beautiful goal mm, from, mm. from Crouch, finish off a lovely move. And then Shaq scores goal of the season the week after we announce our candidates for goal of the season uh, in typical <laughs> oh, <that>. fashion. <laughs> we're going oh, we'll to we'll... score some bangers in the next couple of weeks. You watch now. <laughs> yeah, you just why, why do we announce that? Oh, <laughs> I just don't know. Six, I mean, it, it, it gets earlier every year, doesn't it? I mean, when you've got six games to go against, you know, We've got a good run of fixtures, I think, coming into this game. You'd expect goals. I just don't understand it at all. Yeah, um, I think that goal, I know it was a, a third and a 3-1, but it felt really important almost because it, it, I think it kind of lifted people's spirits. A 2-1 win might have been a bit, mm. I don't know, there might have been an air of 
negativity over it more so than has we not seen a third and the best goal we've seen for a while. My, my dad just said to me then he thinks it's the best goal since Crouches against Man City, which is high praise indeed. Um, why do we do that? <laughs> the the Guardian article on the game said uh, only Stoke could lose four in a row and then uh, win three one, scoring three brilliant goals. It's because we played somebody not very good for a change. <laughs> I think <laughs> uh, we we had had a, we had had a tough run of fixtures. I'm not going to you know hide that. I know we didn't play very well. We really didn't play well, but. We had the likes of the champions. We had Liverpool. We had Burnley away, which we know is very hard. I I didn't expect too many more points during that run. I just expected better performances. But what I'm more surprised mm. about is the fact that we played, you know, above average yesterday. We really did. Definitely up front, anyway. Yeah, it was a tale of a very exciting attacking play, sort of, and sort of being undermined by really shoddy defensive play. I mean, Eric Peters, oh, bloody hell, I think he had a, he had <laughs> oh, a proper mare, didn't he? Poor Eric. I think Tom's loving slowly. slowly uh, uh, Eric Peters has broken my heart. I feel like a sword <laughs> I've defended him so much, but yesterday he just did that, 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 well, what was it? He basically rouletted the ball out of play. Oh, it was going to be just knew that they what were going to score from that corner as well. The second he did yeah, it, yeah, oh, yeah. Eric, you've let me down. Break my heart, and then he uh, and then he had a fight with Lee Grant, which was particularly <laughs> yeah. entertaining. Yeah, what, what did you make of that? It was, it I mean, was, I was worrying we were going to see a fuller Griffin in a. In a yeah, match, I I was too. I, I I was down the other end. To be fair, I was more towards the booth than end. But I mean, for me, it was Lee Grant's ball. Definitely, you want your goalkeeper to come and claim that, so it's in his hands. All 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 that would have happened with Peters was. He did what he, exactly what he did, and he cleared it, and he cleared it straight to Hull. So I don't know what Peters had against Lee Grant really. Maybe he didn't get the shout, but I don't, I don't know. And I think, like you were saying, with with the tension that was going on in the ground, I fully expected a bus stop. You know, they were squaring up, and I, I was really scared that we were going to just capitulate at that point. I was really disappointed with with Shawcross in that in that. That sort of he was only stood ten yards away while he's got two of his quite both quite senior footballers screaming mm. into each other's faces, and he just sort of stands there looking at them. I wanted him to just go over and probably tell both of them to yeah, say what you need to say to each other, and get on with it. It was just nuts, and I don't think Lee Grant played very well in that game either. I mean, he mm. was at full what, what did what did Grant do that I don't know he, he, the, 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 the first, their goal yeah okay it deflects off Shawcross but Grant sort of just stands up and watches it roll past him I don't know if he thought it was going out of play or something but is it, it well it certainly wasn't the best positioning for him anyway maybe he couldn't have reacted to the ball but he certainly didn't cover his near post very well um, his, his kicking annoyed me a bit I mean, oh his kicking's annoyed me he, for he went weeks long now to Berina yeah and he kicks long to Shakiri as well. We talked about this before, <laughs> yeah. and you know, oh, he drives drives me nuts. And Shakiri goes, "Why? Why are you kicking it to me? Like I'm the shortest player on the pitch." Yeah, and then of course Shakiri gets bollocked for <laughs> for not going up against a six foot five defender because defender, he's not. And it was like, <laughs> because he's not the Flash, and he can't. <laughs> you know, 
But eventually oh, Shakiri got the grip, got to grips with it. He sort of pushed his defender off, and a couple of times he sort of did the Arnautovic, plucked the ball out of the air while holding his man off. I reckon he could learn a thing or two off Arnautovic's hold-offs. Oh, Shakiri, yeah. he's 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 got the body there. He's got the agility. He just needs to learn to push off his his full back and spin. We're, we'll talk about Shaq for a bit then. Oh, Bloody please, hell, we've missed him. <laughs> oh, just magnificent sometimes, isn't he? He's just. Just something I tweeted yesterday was: There's people that don't rate him. There'll, there'll be listeners to this oh, podcast who, who don't think he's all that, and you can kind of understand it because you know sometimes he gets marshaled out of games and stuff. But he just produces things, even when he doesn't have that good a game. He, he'll, he'll produce a really good chance for you, exactly, or an assist exactly. or something. Well, and that's exactly why he's in the team. There was someone behind me who was getting at him for the whole match, and he said something when he got tackled. Um, I think it was it was a really good tackle from Klukas, and I span round and sort of looked at him, and he just sort of said to me, "Shakiri's useless." And then obviously he, <laughs> he scored that goal, and I turned around and was like, "Oh right, you're not saying anything now." But I, I don't know how you criticise him? He is when he's in his stride, and obviously he's not going to be in his stride too much because if he was, he wouldn't be at Stoke. And he wins his games and he won us that game with Arnautovic them two you take them out of that side and we aren't winning that game and yeah okay they can be a, a bit um, they lack some of the defensive attributes that sometimes you, you might want as fans for your players to track back and work hard but if they were constantly defending we'd never get anywhere I don't get it, it, it they are there to attack and win as matches they aren't there to cover up for our two fullbacks who are just dreadful at the minute but Shakiri just makes me happy he just makes everything better <laughs> <sighs> uh, well his, his famous calves there was a there was a moment in the second half where he'd been fouled and uh, he was holding his calf a bit and I was like oh, oh god please no please don't get injured maybe he's just well, that's what... maybe he's just checking if they're still there still intact <laughs> <laughs> I bet he does that quite See, a lot See, that's the advantage of them being so massive, isn't it? He can just absolutely ping one in from 30 yards out. Yeah. Because I didn't even see that one coming. I thought, is he going to try and dink it over the top? Oh, no, it's in the top corner. Well, that's it. I I think um, I had people saying to me, oh, weren't you really annoyed that he was taking long shots at that point in the game? And I said, I didn't have time to react that he was taking a long shot. It was in the back (laughs) of the net before I even blinked. Speaking of long shots, um, oh. you mentioned there that ch- big Charles Adam uh, had a frustrating afternoon. He took some of that uh, frustration out on the bench. Did he? Um, I didn't see this. Yeah, he kicked the bench. Oh, yeah. I, oh. I, I, I saw it when he went off. He kind of uh, put in a, a reducer on the bench. Makes a change from an opposition player's shin. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, he's, he's really starting to piss me off now. I was getting really, really angry with him. And when he tried that stupid long shot, I just kind of... It was like, that's it for me. Just get him sold almost. The difference between him and Shakiri is... (laughs) I think Shakiri's much more likely to score a long shot than Charlie Adam. (laughs) Which is why I don't get as mad at Shakiri (laughs) trying a long shot. Yeah. And it's annoying because I don't want to feel angry with Charlie Adam. I, I think the... The problem I have with Adam isn't like what he's like as a person or whatever. It's more sort of what he represents almost, which is sort of going back to kick and rush almost, uh, kind of the the bad days of Pulis ball. And I I don't mind him. He's been an important player for us and stuff. But 
when you saw our midfield, especially in the latter stages of the first half, be so poor and Adam give the ball away so cheaply, it just really, really pissed me off. But uh, I, I, so when the boos happened for the double substitution, I was like, oh, Adam's coming off. We're going two up front. It's not the worst change he could have made by any stretch. Mm. So the booing did surprise me. And that's coming from someone who's a real big critic of Mark Hughes. I thought, well, this is fine, isn't it? It's not like we've taken Shaq and Arnie off and, you know, gone oh, six at the back. I really thought that was going to happen. I saw the two line up and I thought, oh, Shaq and Arnie being hooked. I thought, this is it. We're going to be as stale as anything. <laughs> I think it came from um, the, that place of frustration that, that had been building throughout the match. Maybe that, a bit of a worry of, no, don't start doing this to Berahino as well now. Because we've had so many strikers go through this where if they have a bad game and Berahino missed a couple of chances, I think he'd be the first to admit that. And you could tell from when he scored the offside goal and how he was off. He was celebrating. He was over the moon I think he's, he is really nervous and tense about getting that first goal because I think it's meaning mm, quite a mm. lot to him and I think mm. the crowd sort of yeah it was mainly aimed at Hughes making a strange substitution as in sort of taking an attacker off when we needed to win a match and it worked out in the end but I, I understand the boos really I wouldn't say they shocked me yeah. too much would you put Berahino on penalties to the end of the season? Because we just all want him to score so yeah. desperately. Are we just going to yeah, do that? I mean, I know I know it's not a proper goal, really. <laughs> but but it, it's it's something, you know, because you can tell he's nervous. He takes an extra touch when he doesn't need to. Um, I think in the context of the game, we know that he's going to start the next game regardless. And he will get playing time. But this was the game that we needed to win. And... As 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 good positions that he was in, he wasn't scoring that game. He just wasn't, was he? Whether it was luck or just his technique, it just wasn't happening for him this day, and he had and he had to come off at that point. Yeah. Um, so the 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 second goal is a really lovely one. The the just where did that touch come from from Johnny Walters? That was magic. Yeah, he drifted into the position that Arnie normally occupies and then decided to become Marko Arnautovic as well. <laughs> and the, the, yeah. I, the touch is great, but for me, the cross is better because he's managed to perfectly yeah. get that ball over the top of the defender while still committing the defender. And Crouch, I think Crouch said on Five Live after the match that that sometimes he has to, you have to strain for a header, but that was that was perfect. And if he could have if he could have created the perfect situation for himself it would have been that and he was really thankful to Walters it was magic yeah yeah exactly as I said the, as I was leaving the gun that that's a meat and drink Peter Crouch header because mm. I think he's better when he's sort of going away from the goal a bit and can sort of lean back almost absolutely whereas if, if he's running on trying to attack a ball he can uh, be a bit 50p head sometimes. Well, and he knocks his centre back over normally and makes yeah, a foul. Exactly, if yeah. he's leaning back, then it's normally the centre back that's having to lean back into him. And oh, but what a header, though! I mean, I think we underrate Peter Crouch's headers for for how lovely they are to look at. They're just—it was so <laughs> delicate and it was just just in the right place. It was brilliant. Yeah, and the first one's delightful as well. Oh. Just, oh. All our goals were so good. It was lovely to see us score three great goals for a change. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what did you make of uh, Mark Munieza moving to midfield? Uh, obviously, so, a lot of plaudits for his performance there. But also, the uh, nagging question of, well, this means Abula's career's over, doesn't it? Certainly at Stoke. I, surely... Imbula has to come into that midfield if Allen's still out next weekend. Because, I mean, Muniz went there and I don't think he'd set the world alight from that position. I think he was much better when he was playing at uh, left centre-back. Um, but uh, Imbula, Gianelli, please stop running over Mark Hughes's dog. I want you back in the team. <laughs> stop doing things to piss him off. I, I, I can't see him coming back in, I think. You know, he put a centre back in midfield. To be fair, I I did call for this about a year ago. I'm okay. It was half. Mm. It's half jokingly, but he has got those very raw abilities that a midfielder might. Well, definitely a defensive midfielder might be able to have. I was hoping that he'd be sort of our call to replace Whelan almost. Um, but yeah, I think the obvious thing to do there would have obviously been to put an attacking midfielder on, and Munieza definitely isn't that. I I thought that that game was well, and that situation was perfect for Mbula. But I think this means, it, like his time at Stoke is over, as long as Mark Hughes is the manager at least. Yeah, well, Munieza in midfield has been a sort of a change people have wanted to see. Certain people have wanted to see for a while, anyway. Just mm. like because he's certain attributes that might see him suited to that role. Another uh, positional change a lot of people have mooted recently is uh, playing Jordan Shakiri as a number 10. And when you look at the first goal yesterday, when he he was he drifted inside and played that killer through ball and the position from where he scored the the screamer, that you, you kind of think that there's, um, that there's some logic to playing him as a number 10 as well because that... He's not a you know traditional out and out winger, and he does do his best stuff for me when he's floating inside, and he he's sort of you want him to have free reign almost. Um, obviously, there's the Bojan situation if and when he comes back next season. But mm-hmm. <laughs> could 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 Shaq at ten work? We've got back to that fluidity that we had under the false nine, and it was that was so devastating. Sort of with both Arnautovic and Shakiri. They seem to have free reign to play wherever they liked on that pitch. And I think that's what what came from... Because the goals, all of them come from different positions. So Shakiri drops deep for the first one and plays Arnautovic through the middle. The second one, Arnautovic drops deep and plays a wide ball out to one of the strikers who's drifted out wide. And the third one, Shakiri cuts inside. It's so hard for defenders to uh, to cope with. And I think Chelsea did it to us. Um, you had Phil Bardsley and Eric Peters who were giving jobs to Manmark, Pedro and Hazard and they just you just can't because they move all over the pitch and create so mm. much space. It was actually something really exciting to see and Hughes has been saying that maybe we might get a bit more exciting now that we've 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 sort of secured our place in the Premier League and and there's, there's less tension surrounding games and if we carry on like that I'm I'm bloody excited. I can't wait for it because at times you had Arnautovic and Shakiri overlapping each other on the wing and if I was a Premier League fullback that would make me crap myself. I wouldn't be able to cope with that. It's <laughs> petrifying. Yeah, yeah. That's their kind of the they have it within the, their own abilities to perhaps save Mark Hughes' job almost, haven't they? If those two click um, and produce 
a few more displays like that and we finish on the 10th having produced the kind of football we've wanted all season then people might think this used this used guy's got something about him you know <laughs> uh, ben does does this result does this performance perhaps change anything for you does the fact we're safe now mean um right this season off but next season we've got you know players who can take us to that fabled next level it's a tricky one isn't it because uh, do you want to build up the players confidence which they've clearly lost you could see that yesterday do you want to build up their confidence play your best team that you know works and win the remaining games that we have or try to at least or do you want to say look next season's going to be different I want to regenerate the squad I want certain players out I want to involve more youth players, which he's definitely said he wants to do. Maybe he might start integrating those now. There was talks of uh, Liam Edwards and other youth players like that even playing yesterday. Maybe that this is the time in the season now to bring in... Okay, we don't play the entire squad of (laughs) under-23s, but we start to integrate the players that perhaps he is looking... He mentioned that he wants more players to be happy with perhaps more of a squad role. Maybe it's a perfect time to introduce the likes of Ngoy and Edwards and the likes of that into the team. Yeah, the um, there was a rumour floating around uh, before the teams were announced that Tom Edwards and Dan Jarvis had been oh, yes. named on the Sorry, bench. Sorry, I got the names we- wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that sort of confused me because I didn't know who else was injured and therefore dropping down it turns out neither of them were on the bench but there there is a sense that players like Tom Edwards are getting closer I mean Tom is picked up a lot of plaudits for how he's played in the cup run and stuff like that and we've had Verlinden and Ngoy on the bench this season and I think think they're both injured at the moment but yeah it's the question of do we try and go all out get as many points as we can or do we kind of risk in adverted commas uh, a few more young players in the side I don't okay. care either way yeah <laughs> I, I don't mind either way just as long as it's something a bit different a bit more exciting the one worry for me about all this where all this new creativity we had against Hulls come from is that I'm quite worried it's not about Mark it's not from Mark Hughes because we've got to remember Mark Hughes is the person who dropped Shakiri for three matches because Arnautovic was banned he, he, he dropped him from the team mm. he's the person who's knocked Imbuda out of the team he's the person who let Bojan go on loan which he said is a mistake himself which I found absolutely bizarre as, as, to, to sort of already called out before the end of the season it worries me that it was almost the players going screw what he's getting us to do we know what we can do so we'll go out and do it obviously I have no idea if that's the case it might not be um but yeah let's just try and have an exciting end to the season with games that everyone can go to and go bloody hell that was a good day there's been an air of sort of negativity almost because because we've been on a bad run then press stories have sprung up that kind of feed into this culture of negativity, that feed into this sense of, oh, Hughes might be gone at the end of the season. We had Peter Coates' interview with Radio Stoke, which was very sort of non-committal, a lot of people felt. A lot of people felt that he wasn't totally backing the manager. He remained a bit coy about whether he would offer him a new contract at the end of the season. And there's also, like you said, the I, I regret 
letting Bojan go interview with Mark Hughes did did with Talksport, and and there's also these kind of rumours that spring up that occur more frequently when you're in a bad run, of oh my mate, oh my mate uh, trims Ryan Shawcross's garden maze, and he says to me that. Um, oh, there's a lot of bad stuff going on behind the scenes, which is essentially what one person said to me at the, at the game yesterday. But and there's a there's, there was a post on the Oatcake saying Mark Hughes didn't really sign Ramadan Sobby and he doesn't really like him, <laughs> which is I don't really believe to be honest. You get these kind of uh, hyped up stories saying oh everything's going wrong, everyone's at each other's throats, everyone hates each other, and you've got to take that with a pinch of salt because we're in a bad run. Do we really think that? that's the case do we really think that uh things are as bad behind the scenes as we've perhaps been led to believe mm, potentially i mean <laughs> like not not to the extent that mark Hughes didn't sign any players or things like that that are really silly but i think perhaps there's not a divide in the dressing room but certainly a uh, air of lack of confidence maybe perhaps in what the players are doing, maybe even in what the manager's doing, you know. You see players like arguing position-wise, where should you be? We seem to be playing new formations all the time with new players as well. I'd be surprised to see, you know, how many of the exact same starting lineups that we've had this season. I bet it's not very many in the same formation anyway. Mm. Um, I'm sure that players are confused and... and we know from seasons gone by that the way to success is continuity. We saw it with Leicester last season. You know they didn't rotate many players, their formations, and you know just because one thing doesn't work, you know doesn't mean it won't work for another game. And I think the players may cop onto this. And certainly if they're being dropped for no good reason, Mark Mineser, I think in particular, has not had a bad game this season, but has seen him dropped needlessly on multiple occasions. And I think there's certain players such as him that feel very hard done by. Yeah, I think there's a sense of just frustration yeah. uh, across across the players and the fans in particular. You know, you only have to listen to Radio Stoke even after we've won to hear uh, fans being frustrated with other fans. Oh, Jim's on it. Oh, I, I'm so angry with the fans who didn't go. I, I go every game despite, uh, you know, I, I only earn X amount of money. I can go, so that makes me a better <laughs> fan. I'm just sick of these fans that don't go. Never mind the fans that do go to the game and boo substitutions, but that's a different matter. Um, and you, you get the sense that there's a definite edginess with the player. I mean, that boiled over in the Lee Grant Eric Peters thing. But there's also like after we scored the first goal, Charlie Adam and Mark Winnie's were really trying to hype up the crowd. You know, there's a sense of we're on edge almost. That game was really important for us, so maybe it will calm down now a bit. But yeah, and, and the. You get moments between players throughout the season, obviously, but like think of Whelan, Bollocking, and Goy at West Brom and stuff, and you get the sense that maybe everything's not quite right. But winning games generally kind of solves that. Um, Tom, do you think that Mark Hughes will go at the end of the season? I think it would take something pretty miraculous for him not to. I mean, we've we've mentioned the Coates interview, which did seem really non-committal and sort of talked about the current managerial team, and everyone's talked about that before. But if if we if we played how we played against Hull for the next few games this season, I think he'd probably 
may be given another summer, maybe told by Coates, look, you're not you're not allowed to do these massive transfer overhaul that you, you seem intent on doing. Um, and, and I'll give you a few games at the start of next season to prove to me that you're the right man for the job. But I, I just think there's so much has gone wrong in the lead to this season. I mean, let's not forget we haven't even reached 40 points yet. And under Hughes, we've always done that in March. And we're we're now getting towards the end of April and we're still not there. I think one performance like that really shouldn't tarnish opinions of of stuff that's been going wrong. Uh, but yeah, I think he would be. He will be gone in the season at, at the end of the season, unless it is, these last five games are really, really special. Yeah. Um, ben, what sort of tactical changes or personnel changes would you like to see in the side in these final few games? Do you want to see uh, new fullbacks? I, I imagine you want to see Mbula back in the side at least for the next game. So, what would just what would just starting eleven look like for Swansea? Oh, for Swansea. Um... I think for now I'd like to stick with four four two. I don't think that that's a formation that we should be perhaps carrying on. Um, but I think with the players we've got available to us, I think that that's the best we can do. Uh, I don't know how Jack Butland is to full fitness. Mark Hughes will determine that. So, like whatever the situation is in goalkeeper, I'm going to assume it's Lee Grant for now. Um, is Phil Barsley injured as well? Or he he was, was on the bench, bench wasn't he? Well, was he on the bench? I'll I'll go with Phil Barsley just because by the sounds of it, Glenn Johnson's leaving in the summer. I'd like to see Phil Barsley at least be given another go. I think he's been you know average this season. Um, Ryan Shawcross, Martin Zindi. Uh, at left back, perhaps Mark Minieza. Mm. I I'm yeah, I'm not a I'm big fan. I'm not a big fan of. Munoz at left back. I don't think he's got uh, left back qualities, but I just think Eric Peace is becoming a liability. And I hope I know that left back isn't a priority in the summer, apparently. But I think you know we need to at least give Eric Peters a nudge and say, "Look, you're not untouchable. You know, <laughs> we can yeah. we can drop you. We've got the players here to drop you if you don't perform." Uh, and then in midfield, I'd like Shakiri obviously, on the right. Uh, I'm going to go with Cameron and Imbula. That's who I'd like to see. Uh, I doubt that's going to happen, so I'm assuming it's going to be Charlie Adam again. <laughs> uh, I'd now switch on the left side. And I'd like to see Crouch and Barry, you know, up front. I really would. Yeah, mm. I'm going to go with that for yeah. Swansea. Yeah, I find it pretty hard to disagree with that lineup. Um I, I think Barry, you know, perhaps... Needs, need. Have, have we seen Crouch and Berry now so um, far this season? I think we have. But I th- was it against Man City or Chelsea? One or two. It was. It was a game that they were never going to score. I think. Yeah. Um, or it was a game that we were completely run over. So the the performance was you know negligible really. Um, yeah, you feel like Crouchy up there with him might be able to. And definitely against Swansea's defence. I think we've seen that Swansea's defence has capitulated yeah. in recent weeks. So. Yeah, Rob Doolina tweeted last night. Um, it's a dreadful moment for Alfie Mawson is pretty much what Match of the Day commentators say every week. I mean, they're, they're pretty, <laughs> pretty vulnerable. Um, um, yeah, Clement's lost a bit of that magic, so there's no reason we can't go there and win. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I, I think that Krauts can genuinely help Berahino in the same way that he's helped Jermaine Defoe in the past. They're not, mm. they're not the same player, I appreciate that. But 
I think that Berahino needs that arm wrapped around him in a in a game, not just you know off the pitch. I think he needs that guidance on the pitch for now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we go, then we'll have our listener question of the week. Um, I asked in. Uh, it, uh, oh, sorry, I asked after Billericay Town went viral with their rendition of uh, "World's Greatest" by R. Kelly. What song would you use to inspire the Stoke squad for the remaining games of the season? Uh, SCFC Josh says, "Every breath you take." Just with the uh, note, come back, Bojan. <laughs> a bit sinister. Uh, Graham Canning says, one for Gene Ellie and Bula. Don't you forget about me. <laughs> and uh, Benito Fisher with a slightly more motivational one. The Pretender by Foo Fighters, which was used in our Ooh. second season up. There was like that video before every home game, which really got you pumped up. Yeah. Uh, guys, uh, have, have you thought about this question yeah I think uh, Hughes needs to put a, a bit more of an authoritarian stamp on the team and um, really sort of make sure that everyone knows that, that he's boss and sort of one individual who could be targeted in particular is Charlie Adam so I would go for off Kendrick Lamar's new album Humble just for the line bitch sit down be humble well Charlie Adam um, if Patrons will know this, but uh, Charlie Adam doesn't really like uh, hip hop and R and B that all the foreign lads play in the dressing room. So that would be his worst nightmare. Uh, ben, how about you? Well, now that we can say we're probably safe, um, I think definitely with some of the players not being on board with what's going on at the moment, I wouldn't like us to take the foot off the gas. You know, we could still have a good end to the season. So I'm going back to 1977. I'm going to go with David Soul. Don't give up on us. <laughs> and, um, Very nice. And, One for the teenagers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and and in the case of, you know, we we do absolutely capitulate towards the end of the season, I'd like to direct this to Mark Hughes, and I'm going for uh, Rihanna and take a bow. You've done really well, Flores. Now, <laughs> I like that. Uh, I've gone for um, sort of to uh, really set the set the tone and uh, remind the players that seasons can collapse on themselves and uh, there's really a lot of pressure on them to save the day here. I'd go for the Inception theme music, uh, specifically titled uh, Dream is Collapsing. Because uh, right now, Mark Hughes' dream is collapsing. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I've just got in my head. <laughs> Shakiri's goal yesterday, and then as soon as it goes in, you just hear. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I like this. Sorry, yeah, just some dramatic Hans Zimmer, just to, uh, <laughs> to um, underline the importance of of the remaining games. I like how in true wizard style, we've uh, we've asked for motivational questions, and all of our answers are just taking the piss out of the players. No, I, I thought I was motivational. <laughs> Don't give up, Oh, no, copyright can't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I think that's a good a time as any to uh, end the show then. Uh, thank you very much, guys. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Uh, have a good Easter, everyone. Uh, Happy Easter. Go on, Stoke. Dave, why are you asking the listeners for money again? 
Well, Chris, it's because the Wizards of Drivel are now on Patreon. Patreon is a platform that allows people to support their favourite creators by pledging a small amount of money per month. So, a listener's going to have to pay for the podcast? Because, to be honest, I don't think people want to buy a weekly moan at Mark Hughes. No, Ben, the usual weekly podcast will always be free to everyone who wants to listen. This is just for people who can afford to support the podcast in order to help us keep going next season. Ben, Ben, I'm not sure I think I can trust Dave with a large transfer budget to rebuild this podcast. I think we should go and look for a presenter abroad with some new ideas. Steady on, Chris. All money pledged to us will be 100% reinvested back into the podcast. From playing off SoundCloud subscriptions, website fees and funding improvements to the overall quality of the pod... From microphones to interviews. Yeah, but if you're a supporter of us on Patreon, what do you get out of it? Well, aside from the warm glow you get from helping out an independent podcast about Stoke City, patrons will get extra stuff just for them. If you pledge $1 a month, which is mere pennies at least for the moment, you'll get back a bunch of exclusive content, videos, blogs, mini-podcasts, that kind of thing. And if you pledge $3 a month, you'll get two extra Wizards of Drivel podcasts monthly. How does a listener become a patron then, Dave? They go to www.patreon.com forward slash Wizards of Drivel. And if they can and want to, can select the rewards that suit them. It's entirely voluntary. And if you don't have the spare cash or just don't want to, we won't think any the less of you. And of course, we're happy to talk through any questions you might have about this via email or social media. Hi, the show isn't over yet because in the first of what I hope is a long-running new feature, we've asked our international listeners to get in touch and give us their views on Stoke from around the world. Today we have Hugo Hemlin from Swedish Stokies, Dutch potter Henry Koiter, uh, exile in the sandpit Mark Hand, and to play us out, the fabulous Catalan potters. Enjoy. Hi guys, it's Hugo from the Swedish Stokies. Well, uh, this season feels like the worst one since we reached the Premier League. Constant changes in formation, Sonny Boyan out alone, not playing in Beulah, playing Charlie Adam. Up until December I was waiting for a season to really get started and since then I just I just wanted to end. By the way, there will be about 30 of us uh, Swedish Tokies coming to Stoke for the West Ham game. If you feel like uh, having a pint with us before the game, we will probably be at the Gardeners Retreat. Hope to see you there. Hello Wizards, thanks for the opportunity to pass on my foreign exile view of the season so far. One point up front, I'm really pleased you decided to create the Wizards podcast. It's a fun, it's informative and a great view of life at the bet. One question from me, do we really call it the bet or is it still the Brit? I'm confused. Anyway, the podcast is a perfect way to while away my 45 minute drive to work at least once a week. By way of background, my name is Mark Hand. I'm a five-decade supporter of Stoke. I'm one of the Oatcake Originals. I know I'm a mere spring chicken compared to many, but in that time, I've seen the good times, the bad times, the really bad times, and lately, our rise to top-half Premiership stability. I'm currently living in Qatar in the Middle East, where I'm fortunate enough to watch every Stoke match live, thanks to Richard Keyes and Andy Gray's Being Sports Football Show, which shows every... Premier League match live. Not bad for two, 25 quid a month. So while I can't be at the bet in person very often, I watch, I yell, I F and I blind and I verbally slag off the referee as much as I would do if I was at the ground. My other half disappears and FaceTimes the world when a match is on, so you get the picture. To set the scene, I'm going to frame my short summary of season 17 in this way. We haven't got 
going. We haven't even started at all. But above everything else is that Stoke have hopefully another season in the Premier League next year. But when the best thing to happen this season is filling in the bloody Stoke End family stand corner, that says something, doesn't it? Why is that the best thing? Why? Because our management team have lost their nerve, in my view. And that has to transmit to the players, doesn't it? Ever had a nervous boss? I have, and I know what it feels like. Rubbish. Where's the Stoke owner of the recent past? Why can't the current management team handle flair players? There's a theme going on here. In Bula, in Goy, our man in Mainz. There are many others. Yossolo, for example. My take is this. If you stick with a very capable old guard, and they are talented, I'll give you that. The best you'll achieve is mid-table mediocrity and bloody inconsistency. Just look at the impact two player players had on Saturday out on the wings. Arnautovic on the left. Brilliant. Not his best game, but still bloody brilliant. Knackered after 60 minutes. Hughes, take him off. Put Sobe on for FFS. Shakiri, rip Liverpool's left back. Another one within the first 30 minutes of the match. So what I sense, watching from a distance, from the sandpit, is that there is a lack of confidence in the management team to take a risk. In my view, it's also why they spin the line, he can't do what we want, to the bloody media, to place Imbula on the market for the summer. He's a fantastic 18 million, pros- 18 million quid prospect who needs coaching the Hughes way. Not dropped from a great height. So I think Hughes and his backroom staff are showing classic signs of low confidence. Blame everyone else, and boys, we stay in a job. Keep us up for now, and boys, we're safe. Back foot bloody management, not front foot coaching. And from Hughes in particular, front foot mentoring. He was one of football's greats. Tell the flair kids how it feels to be a great and get them to feel like it every week. It's so bloody frustrating to see the squad talent off the bench, out on loan or on the market. So here's my view. Let's get another couple of points. 37 should be okay this year, I think. Get the management team to zip up their collective mansuit and take some risks, especially towards the end of the season. At some point, they're going to be forced to do it. The older players are going to break down at some point. If they don't choose to do it, they'll be forced to do it. Choosing to play and mentor and coach Flair will see us absolutely at the next level. Anyway, Wizards, here's to season 17-18. Cheers from the sandpit. Go on, Stoke. Hello, everyone. My name is Henry, and today I'm going to give you my opinion on Stoke. First of all, I would like to thank the people from this podcast for asking me to give my opinion about Stoke City and the Dutch players this season. Stoke. We're currently on four defeats in a row, but I don't think the losing streak represents our form correctly. The first game was against Chelsea. We deserved at least a point from the game, but Eric made a huge mistake which, re- which resulted in the second goal for Chelsea. The next, game, the next two games against Leicester and Burnley, we played horrible. We deserved to lose both games. The team couldn't make more than five passes without losing the ball. In the next game against Liverpool, we played a really good first half, but when the equaliser from Coutinho was made, the whole team collapsed. The next four games will be crucial for Stoke. They might decide if we stay in the Premier League or not. About the Dutch players. We currently have three Dutch players at the club. 
two are really good, but the other one should leave. Martin Zindi has been really decent this season. In my opinion, he's our best summer signing of 2016, one of the more solid centre-backs in the league. Ibrahim Afalai has been injured for the biggest part of the season, hasn't been in the starting 11 yet, correct me if I'm wrong, but has been a really good sub for the time that he has been available. And the last one is of course Eric Peters. I've known him since he, his first match at PSV. The best thing about him in Holland was definitely his ability of crossing the ball. He could cross the ball from anywhere and it would still land exactly where he wanted it to land. Unfortunately, his performances haven't been too great lately and I think we should start Munyeza left back in the next few games. This is my opinion on Stoke at the moment. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. My username is at HenrySCFC. Thanks again to the lads of the Wizards of Drevel for letting me do this. Good Stoke! Ah!